important for us to be able to get out and to proclaim this good news, but we got to know why it's good, right? It's good because it's taking something that's bad and making it good. That's why we celebrate some of these songs that you hear in these songs. If you're paying attention, and maybe if you're not a person of faith, or if you are, and you're paying attention, you're like, wait, why are we singing about sin and corruption? Like, this is kind of weird. It's because God is taking the very thing that we struggle with, this corruption that leads to death, and he's saying, it's not going to have the final word. I will have the final word. I'm a recreator. I'm a redeemer. I'm a resurrector. And I will have the final word, not you and your corruption. And so that's the good news in making the bad news good. Uh, Week one, we talked about this idea of stay alert. The second coming is real. Thank you, Kara. Yes, I need you to come to the Lutheran Church because when I said stay alert, a second coming uh, is real, it was crickets in the Lutheran Church. And that's like an amen-worthy statement, right? Like, he is coming again. It's real, folks. This is not just something we kind of go uh, in our creeds. It talks about how he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. It's not just something that we repeat and move on. We believe it to be true. He's coming back. And we need to stay alert for that second coming. And really, when you so just take like a, a quick perusal of, of the news that's out there right now, We are in desperate need of him to come back and to reorient all of human society around the Jesus way. Uh, Our way is corrupt. It's not going to work. And so this beauty, this great promise of the second coming, it's real. Let's stay alert to it. Uh, Then last week we looked at this receive your new identity. What do you think of when I say those words, what Christian rite or practice do you think of? Yeah, what is it? What do you think of? What what rite? Yeah, good, good. What is what do we actually do to represent that? Baptism. That's what I want you to when you think about a new identity, I want you to be thinking about baptism, the physical practice of it has a sacramental or spiritual connection to it. It means that you're going down into that water and you are dying, right? The old man is dying and what is coming out of that water is somebody brand new. But you have to own, some of us, some of us, we have to own that every single day. Like there are minutes even in the day where you're like, nope, 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 I'm baptized, I'm a new creation, right? Because the Satan, with his lies, he tries to constantly remind us of the old man. And we have to go, not today, Satan, the new man will prevail, right? And that's this receive your new identity. That reception of the new identity comes from being forgiven of our sins. Oh, isn't that nice that all that corruption that, that kind of prevails in our lives doesn't have to prevail in our lives. A, a new man is there. And so not only can we receive the forgiveness of God, but we can then give the forgiveness of God to others and then again, now, as you think about the world, isn't that what's needed? That when bad things happen, instead of retaliating and doing the exact op- you know, doing the same thing to the other person, to respond with forgiveness. What did Jesus say? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
right? There is, some, there is that message of the kingdom that we need to prevail in our, in our world today. And so making the bad news good is uh, really kind of the, the theme throughout all these passages that we're looking at. We are in selected passages of 1 John today, um, and so let me read these verses to you. A man came sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that everyone might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. So they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Tell us so that we can give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John said, I am the voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. As Isaiah the prophet said, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked John, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, among you stands one whom you do not recognize, who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. These things happened in Bethany, across the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. All right, it's a pretty simple one for today. Uh, when we think about how to make the bad news good, I mean, here's what I want you to consider, learning how to testify in humility, Okay? Learn how to testify in humility. When, when I say that language, then let's think of what the opposite would be. You could, you could testify in arrogance. And I just am curious. I'm just kidding. This is me just being curious. I don't mean to poke the bear. It just happens. Have you ever run into a, a Christian or a Christian community that testified in arrogance? You ever, you ever run into a group of people that they were just so sure of, of how everything was done and, and they just were so positive uh, and really that testimony ultimately became a little bit more about themselves and how they understood God as opposed to being a testimony about who God is himself. I'll give you a few examples, okay? Now look, I've got opinions on this. I, if you, you want to take me out for coffee, I'm happy to talk to you about creation, and I'll share my thoughts on creation. But did you know that there's 19 distinguishable views about how God created the world? That's in faith communities. 19 distinguishable views. All of them saying what? We're right. Now, should we get to the end times? And talk about all the distinguishable views in the end times and about how people uh, stand up and say, this is exactly how it's going to happen. Look, I've got opinions on that. I, I'm happy to share what I've discovered as I look in Scripture. I, I have views on those things. But at the end of the day, guess what? I'm not God. I wasn't there in creation. I, I'm not entirely sure how he did it. I've got some ideas. I feel like Scripture gives us some indications uh, and I guess I will be there at the end in some manner of speaking, but it'll be a, probably a surprise how it all pans out, right? Which ultimately makes me a pan-millennialist. 
it'll all pan out in the end, right? Again, I've got views. I'm not, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from holding a conviction of a view. What I'm trying to say is that let's testify in humility. You know, there are certain Christian groups that do not believe that Jonah is a real person. They believe that that's just a story. I don't happen to be one of those people, but does it erase who God is? It, it, it could be just a story. I don't think so. But it could be. I wasn't there. So we have to hold these things with a little bit of attention. We have to have conviction, and we have to testify in humility. And so that's what I'd invite you to consider today. And what we see from John the Baptist is really kind of a testimony in humility. Because as they come to him, the Pharisees are trying to figure out, who are you and why are you baptizing and, and you're not even baptizing in Jerusalem. Like, what's happening here? Because think about what's going on here. For the history of Israel, largely speaking, after they were given the law, they were, in, they were required to come to a central location called the tabernacle, which ultimately became the temple, which was in Jerusalem, right? The faith community in Israel was very inward-driven, come and experience the presence of God here in Jerusalem. And now all of a sudden you've got John the Baptist, he's doing something outside of Jerusalem. This is, I, I can't tell you how, 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 much, how problematic that would be for the spiritual leaders of Jerusalem. And so even if you gave them the benefit of the doubt, which you don't have to do, because these folks are corrupted, Okay? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they're corrupted. They're interested in maintaining their own power. Uh, and they're sending out also priests and Levites who are kind of doing their bidding, who we see in the parables are also corrupted. We see them going out and inquiring of John, like, what's going on here? Because the people are coming out to you in droves, and they're supposed to be coming into us in droves with their money where we will take it. Right? They had this clever little tax system where they're like, oh, the money that you have isn't really temple money. You have to convert your money into temple money, and then you can buy the little animals and stuff that you need for your sacrificial system. Uh, and, you know, there's this interest on that in the conversion process. It's just how it goes. That's how it works. You see, they had a whole corrupt, financially driven incentive to bring the people into Jerusalem. Now, this is, this is corrupt, and, and, and something that we should recognize that every time uh, a religious institution uh, becomes corrupt, God is more than, more than willing and able to say, I will empower people outside that institution. Okay? Think about, I'm using words, institution, very specifically because institutions pop up for a good reason, right? To meet the needs of people. That's how they start. I mean, think about, we could, again, we might have to have coffee on this, but we could just go through all the different human institutions, and they are motivated to help people. That's how they begin. But as time goes by, unfortunately, what happens to every institution is every institution becomes corrupt. Anybody want to care to have a wager why? Money. Well, yeah, money's part of it, but human institutions are made up of whom? Humans, humans, as some people say. <laughs> Sorry, human. I've always been st struck by why don't Hugh, Hugh, 
H. There's the H, humans. Anyhow, they're made up, so they get corrupt because we're involved in it. And so it's going to happen. And, and so God, knowing that situation, he goes, oh, I'm going to empower people outside of those human institutions. John the Baptist is one of the, he's one of the forerunners of empowering somebody outside of the human institution of the, of the temple in Jerusalem. And he empowers him to go and have this ministry, and it, he's going, and all the people are following him, and the religious Pharisees and Sadducees, they are looking at this and going, they are, they're threatened by this. So they are going out, and they're asking him, like, what's your authority? Who are you? What's your authority? How do you get the, the gumption to be able to work outside the temple? Okay, let's, let's ask some questions. Are you the Christ? And John the Baptist comes to me, and he says, I'm not the Christ. Remember, in, human, or in, in uh, Hebrew prophetic literature, there's a couple of expectations for them. One is there's been this long prophesied idea about a Messiah. Now, we sit in a Christian culture and we go, oh, well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, we see that, but at the time, they didn't know. And they, even their expectations of what that Messiah would do and who he would be was a little bit, there were some question marks surrounding that. So the first question they go out and they go, well, you're acting so strange. Could you be the Messiah? He says, no. Then also in Deuteronomy, Moses says, he says this, he goes, uh, now be prepared. There's going to be a prophet like me that comes back. Now in Jewish tradition, they didn't know whether or not that prophet was also the Messiah, which it turns out that that prophet is Jesus as well. So both the Messiah and the prophet are the same people in Jewish tradition, they don't know. They, that's a bit of a question mark for them. So they come back with the next question. Are you the prophet? Uh, meaning, are you the guy that we should be expecting that's like Moses? And he says, no, I'm not that person either. Additionally, in, in prophetic uh, literature, in scripture, they have this idea of Elijah is going to, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah is going to return to you. And they ask him, so are you Elijah? Now look, I think in here we've, been, we've done pretty well giving you some tools to help unlock scripture. Remember what Jesus always says. He comes and he says, people will ask him different questions, and he's like, you're missing the point. You're, you're, just, you're, you're, you're taking a very hyper-literal and very kind of physiological understanding of what's being spoken. You need to think about the spiritual and so, again, it, no fault of their own, but they come back and they're like, well, the scripture says that Elijah's supposed to come back. Are you Elijah? And John the Baptist comes back and he's like, I'm not Elijah. But Jesus later identifies John the Baptist as Elijah. Okay? What Jesus is doing is he's saying, you're missing the point. You're supposed to be looking for somebody who is spiritual, spiritually like Elijah. Now, here's, here's, your, here's your homework for this week. You better start on Monday, maybe even today. I want you to go read the accounts of Elijah and Elisha. This is going to be very rich for you. If, you. if you take me up on this, this will be very rich for you. And then I want you to ask yourself the question, how is John the Baptist like Elijah? How is he like him? And just spend, just read, read through the account and go, okay, if Jesus is attributing John the Baptist as Elijah, what are the characteristics of Elijah's ministry that, 
that Jesus is identifying with John the Baptist. I mean, you could rest in just that he was, you know, out there in the wilderness eating some crazy stuff, right? Elijah had a little bit of that. But I'll give you one little tell. Remember who Elijah paves the way for? Who does he pave the way for? Elisha. Do you remember what Elisha did with the little Shunammite girl? Raised her from the dead. Now, Jesus will raise somebody from the dead, a little girl. And it's only within a couple of miles from where Elisha raised that person from the dead. It's almost like this mega announcement without even speaking of going, please connect the dots, people. Who Elijah and Elisha were are who John the Baptist and I am. We serve a God who's able to raise the dead back to life. Okay, there's this announcement that's happening. And so Jesus is trying to connect the dots for the people, but I want you to go in and just ask yourselves those questions. How is uh, John the Baptist like Elijah? And then you can even follow that up with, and how is Jesus like Elisha? And I think it's going to provide some very rich information for you to kind of meditate on. So he comes back, but back to this part in John, the, the priests and Levites, they come and they go, well, are you Elijah? Well, very literally, he can answer honestly, well, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not Elijah raised from the dead, right? Even though Jesus is going to come back and attribute to him, he's got a ministry like Elijah, okay? So he says, no, I'm not that person. And then, they, then what is, they ask him another question, well, you know, what are you doing here? Why are you, why are you baptizing? And he comes back and he says, he doesn't even answer that question really. He's like, well, this is what I'm doing, but there's one even greater. Right? There's one even greater that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's going to make this forgiveness of sins for you permanent. Unlike what the temple, the temple and that whole corrupt situation there, it, you have to keep coming back every year. But Jesus is going to make something permanent for you, and that is this forgiveness of sins. Yeah, hallelujah for, for sure. So now when we think about what John's doing, let's examine it because what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I'm not going to answer who I am. Like what good would that do? Right? Like they don't, they don't accept him anyway. So for him to give his human credentials or his ministry credentials, that does nothing. Right? And, and, and so what's he doing? He's allowing God to validate for the people who he is and what he's doing. Now here, let me, let me illustrate this for you, okay? There's this guy. He, he heard about a Lutheran church. Uh, he wasn't Lutheran himself, okay? Which kind of complicates issues a little bit. And he was younger than the average age of this Lutheran church. And he was called to come and serve at this Lutheran church without Lutheran credentials. And so he had to just come. And you know, the guy went to Dallas Theological Seminary. I don't know if you know what that school is, but like in certain traditions, that's like the, the Willy Wonka golden ticket. It will open up whatever door you want opened. And he had some human credentials. He'd pastored for a while, right? Uh, and he'd done, done some things. He had a resume and human credentials, and, but he, he realized it, when he came into this Lutheran church, none of that mattered. None of those credentials, none of that resume mattered. What mattered was preaching the gospel. That's what mattered. And part of that preaching the gospel is also living the gospel, which means loving others 
as much as you loved yourself. And so he tried. He, he didn't always succeed, but he tried to love others as much as he loved himself. And, and what, what happened was a miracle because this Lutheran crowd who accepted in an outsider to come and designate him and believe him to be their pastor, right, to open their lives for that pastoral relationship to be able to speak into one another's lives and to, to hear confessions, it, it wasn't simply because they hired him on a resume or on credentials. It was because they realized this guy loves us and he loves Jesus and he's preaching the gospel, okay? That's what Paul's doing, or Paul, that's what uh, John the Baptist is doing here. He's not coming back and going, yeah, I'm Elijah, <laughs> so you got to listen to me. And I'm going to be baptizing people out here in the Jordan. So uh, let's go. Jump in the water. I'm the guy. No, he's not doing any of that. No, what he's doing is he's simply going about his business that God has called him to do, loving, uh, loving God and loving others. And what's happening, the people are coming and going, there's a message of truth that resonates with me. I need to be identified with this forgiveness of sins. And I, it, it's the very thing that I'm not getting from the, the temple in Jerusalem. I'm now getting from some outsider. Let me give you another illustration. There's a, there's a girl that sings up on the, on the worship team here. She's from Wisconsin. Do, let me just ask you this. Do you know what the racial breakdown of people of Wisconsin is? Any guess? Yeah, like 99% white, maybe 99.9% .9 white. Like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of white people in Wisconsin, okay? Uh, and she happens to be one of these white people, and yet she was called, get this, this is crazy, she was called to be a principal at the Hawaiian Immersion School just down south here. Now, you may not know this about the Hawaiian Immersion School, but they cycle through principles like it's nobody's business. Because everybody that comes, comes with this resume and with this credentials to say, I'm the principal, you do what I say. Now, not this, not this white girl from Wisconsin. And this white girl from Wisconsin, though she has the credentials, though she has the resume, though she has the skills, she comes and she does what? She comes and she loves God and loves others as much as she can. And because of that, God is slowly validating her in this community that is very resistant to any voice of authority, really. And what is she doing? How is she demonstrating that? Well, she doesn't need to learn Hawaiian to go out and do this job. That's not part of the qualifications, but she's going, and on her own time, she's learning the Hawaiian language. You see, she's not falling back on her resume and on her credentials, though she has them. No, what is she doing? She's going in, and she's loving people, and because of that love, God is coming and validating her as the one whom he has called to bring order purpose and life to that Hawaiian emergent school. You see, what I'm trying to do with these illustrations is give you a glimpse into who you are, because you are all created in God's image to bring order, purpose, and life 
to the chaos around you. Now, I guess I should stop and pause, and I'm going to do this. I'll pause. I'll pause and ask this question, because possibly, possibly, maybe there's somebody out there that's like, well, I'm not experiencing any chaos in my life. Is that anybody not experiencing any chaos out there? I mean, it's possible, I suppose. Everybody, like, is there, like, do, you, do we have anybody that's like, still in the Garden of Eden? Oh, no? Oh, you've been kicked out and you're experiencing chaos? Oh, that's interesting because God has called you, he's, he's created you in his image to bring order, purpose, and life to the chaos around you. Guess how you're not going to do it? With a resume and credentials. Guess how you're going to do it? By loving God and loving others. It's your calling. Each one of you can, can, can come and do this. And God is going to be faithful. As you go into that, he's going, as, as you live out your calling, he's going to be faithful to come and to validate you. You don't have to worry about that. That was one thing I never had to, I, I, I feel like I tried at least, not to have to worry about going, oh, are these Lutherans going to accept me or not? No, I always just felt comfortable like God called me to preach the gospel and to love others. That's what I'm going to do. And if, you know, there are times like John the Baptist does get beheaded, <laughs> right? Like you can reject, you can reject. Jesus does get crucified. But God comes in and he validates the people who are living their calling, not according to their credentials and resume, but according to how they love others. Each one of you have the opportunity to go and do this. Each one of you, you don't have to, it's not like just an Advent seasonal thing. Like this is, this is your life. God has called you, he's designed you to go into the chaos. He's going to, he promised to provide and protect you as he sends you into the chaos. And, and all you have to do is kind of live out that calling and go, okay, I have to identify the chaos. What is that chaos around me? Sometimes it's going to be relational. Sometimes it might be financial. Sometimes it might be health issues. There's a whole different variety of, of ways that it can, can be, you can see that and experience that chaos, but then you have to remind yourself, oh, God's empowered me. He's empowered me and called me to bring order, purpose, and life to that chaos. Now I just have to do it. I have to go out and I have to receive God's love so that I can give God's love. And each one of you have that calling in you. Father, this is, this is the, the beauty of making the bad news good. It's the gospel. We get to live it out. We get to cooperate with your spirit and, and, and see, uh, and just announce and testify to this light. And as we testify to this light in humility, other people are going to be drawn into it. They're going to look around at their own darkness and they're going to go, enough with this, I want that. And so, Father, help us in, in all humility to be able to cooperate with your spirit and to bring order, purpose, and life to the chaos that is around us. Father, will you be faithful then to, well, to validate us, that's, that's fine, but faithful to your promises to provide and protect us. Because as you validate us, what you're really doing is you're validating your message. The Jesus way it has the final word, not our corrupted way. 
Father, for that, we just we are excited to celebrate the season, but we want this to move well beyond the season and become a part of who we are that we live out every day of every year. Father, will you bless us and be faithful to, to provide uh, your spirit to lead us into that. In your son's name, amen.